Welcome back to the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritchner, Rick Broering with you. A couple of games to talk about since the last time we did a podcast. Xavier won 92-91 in a thriller at the Cintas Center over Georgetown last Friday night and then lost by 7, 85-78 at Creighton. That was on Tuesday night in Omaha. Musketeers right now 34th on Ken Palm. They're tied for 6th in the Big East, the conference record of 4-4. Four and four. They are 10-9 and nine overall on the season, and as we record this on Wednesday, they are 42nd in the net. So let's go back to the Georgetown game, Rick, and we'll start there. What you feel like the importance of that win was for the Musketeers over Georgetown, and I guess more importantly, not losing that game and staying in the NCAA tournament conversation. Yeah, that's really what it is, right, Paul? Because I think, you know, as a fan, you're looking at that. And I just did a segment with Mo Egger on his radio show. And he's like, is it glass half full, glass half empty after that game? Where is the fan temperament? And I told him, I was like, I think it's glass half full, like no doubt. Because granted, it wasn't a great performance by Xavier. But if you lose that game, I think all this NCAA tournament and trying to play your way into the dance conversation is gone. I mean, we're done with that for the rest of the year, basically. And we now start talking about the future for good and it's everything is focused on next year and what this team could be and what the offseason is going to look like and uh, just the development of this team. But you find a way to win that one in an exciting fashion. And the fact that you had some contributions from maybe some unexpected places at the end of that one, uh, really in a lot of ways, I think it felt like a game that should have felt terrible for fans, but ended up being like, Oh shoot. We like, we got through it. Okay. Everything's good. Xavier still doesn't have a quad four loss on the season. The Musketeers are four and zero right now in quad uh, four. They're one and two in quad three, and that's essentially what you're just trying to avoid: those landmines against Georgetown, the two games against the Hoyas, the two games against DePaul. You just can't lose one of those games. The rest, it's gravy. You win some games, you get in the NCAA tournament, then that's it. Is that it makes it a successful season for Xavier? I don't know if this season should be judged based on whether or not the Musketeers make the NCAA tournament. That might be unfair to this group. But I also think, like I said on the postgame spaces last night after the Creighton game, I do think it is fair to maybe adjust your expectations at this point in the season, enough to the point where we have seen Xavier progress and take steps. And it's fair to say that this team uh, has a, a pretty good chance right now to maybe even just sneak into Dayton and get to the last four in and, and the first four in Dayton. But right now, where Xavier is, we wouldn't be having that conversation if they had lost to Georgetown. They avoid that with a one-point win. Xavier only led for 81 seconds in that game. But that's all that mattered at the end. Yeah, it was. And I mean, Paul, you know, as much as it's like the, the quad four loss, losing to Georgetown is terrible for a resume and all that stuff. It, that's true. But just from a simple math perspective, if we're talking about Xavier, basically the number we've thrown out there a lot, and I, I do believe it is they need to win at least 18 games overall in the regular season here to put themselves in a position to be on the bubble. And I mean, just, just doing the math, if you're going to take either one of the DePaul or one of the Georgetown wins away from Xavier, you're, you're not getting to 18 wins this year in the Big East with this group, I don't think. So um, th it was a big win in a lot of ways, even if beating Georgetown by one point doesn't feel that way. All right, let's talk about the Hoyas and especially Jaden Epps because he had a fantastic game for Georgetown. He was the Ken Palm MVP in that game, 32 points. They made three threes. Georgetown as a team was 11 for 23 from three, but they made eight threes uh, in the first half as that viral clip uh, that went around yesterday. He, they're eight for 10 
from three in the huddle uh, from Sean Miller. They are eight for 10 from three. And I I think uh, Jaden Epps was a a large part of that. His shooting, he he made nine shots from the floor overall, and he was a perfect 11 for 11 from the line. Georgetown is a team, 20 for 21 from the free throw line, 95% in the game. Um, There is a larger point there that Georgetown turned the ball over just 10 times. They shot 95% from the free throw line, and they made 11 threes, and they still managed to lose the game. So there's probably a larger point there about where Georgetown is right now. But Jaden Epps, 32 points, torched the Musketeers. Yeah, he did. And and Paul, to your point about the way that game played out, that's why in a lot of ways, I think as a Xavier fan, it's it's even less disheartening because, yeah, Xavier, if you feel like you should win by a lot more than one point at home against Georgetown. But if you watched that game and you saw the way Jaden Epps was going and you saw the way Georgetown was shooting the ball and you saw their absurd performance at the free throw line, that's the type of the game you usually lose as the opponent. When the, when you, you know, we talk about it all the time. There's like three games where a team plays way above their level during the season and three games where they play way below their level during the season. And then the rest of the season is pretty much who they are. Well, Xavier got Georgetown on one of their three best games of the year, I would say, you know, and that's not an exact number, but you get the point. Usually each team has a couple games like that. Georgetown was fantastic in that game, and yet Xavier was able to pull it out. And as far as the Jaden Epps things goes, um, you know, Richard Skinner brought up an interesting point about this today on our Skinny podcast. He, he was at the game and he said, it felt to me like Desmond Claude might have gotten tired a little bit in that second half. And obviously that'll lend itself to the conversation as we get into the Creighton game a little bit too. But um, they tried multiple guys. It wasn't just Desmond. They tried Dalen Swade. They tried Davion McKnight. They just had no answer for Jay Nepps in that game. Um, watching it back, I just saw a lot of guys getting beat off the dribble, straight line drives. Every now and then it was like a ball screen or whatever that they didn't handle well. But when when you're getting beat off the dribble like that in a straight line, there's no help defense for it. There's no like, oh, if we just gap this a little bit better, whatever, we can fix it. No, that, that's just like man-to-man, you're not good enough. And I think that's what Xavier went through in that game. They just could not physically stay in front of Jaden Epps, and he was finishing everything. How concerning was defending the three uh, in that game? Do you think it's a broader issue? Do you think Georgetown just got hot? Well, I think when you factor it in with some of the other performances Xavier has had this year, especially this Creighton game that they just had right after it, I would start to be getting a little bit more worried about the three-point defense and whether or not that's a serious issue going forward. Now, with Sean Miller at the helm, I feel pretty confident that he'll find a way to get it fixed. He has better personnel this year to defend on the perimeter than he did a season ago when you were really at a disadvantage with Sule Boom and Adam Kunkel and just a lack of length and athleticism at your guard spots. You're a little bit better this year as it relates to the the size and, and length of your guys. So, I think he'll be able to get that fixed, but it is definitely a bit concerning, especially when you factor in the the performance Creighton had from the outside as well. For Xavier, the standout in that Georgetown game at the very end was Dalen Swain. And I think what happened with Dalen, in my mind, at the end of that game, painted such a broader picture of Dalen the player now versus where he was at the beginning of the season. Because at the beginning of the season, that might have been a ball that Dalen goes, drives the baseline, tries to lay it in. Maybe it's contested. Maybe he doesn't lay it in. But instead, he went with about 30 seconds left on the clock, caught the ball in the corner, gave a little bit of a shot fake enough to get a defender off their feet, drove to the rim, and dunked for the win. 
what ended up being the game-winning basket. Um, a very mature play from Dalen, and one that in a vacuum, and it can show maybe be a microcosm of some pretty significant things for him, hopefully, going forward. It felt like such a big moment in his young career already, just to get the confidence going and give him the belief that like he belongs and he can do these special things. I mean, that dunk was... Like you said, I mean, he pump fakes the initial defender to get him off his feet, drives right around him. But then a second help defender came late and he didn't think about passing. He didn't think about trying to finish around him. He cocked the ball back a little bit and then two hand power slammed it right in that guy's face, which was just fantastic to watch. But Paul, I would even go back to a few other plays that he had earlier in the game. There was um, an and one that he finished where he drove like right into a defender's chest. I can't remember who it was, took strong contact and kind of finished on his way down really nice. And one finish. And then maybe one of my favorite plays of the season in transition, where he used that little in and out move going full speed and absolutely dropped one of the Georgetown defenders. Not like uh Quincy Oliveri did where he had somebody slide on a wet spot at Providence. This was truly like the guy's knees buckled on an in and out move and he stumbled backwards and fell on his butt. So um, th there were moments throughout that game, even before the, the game winning points where it felt like, oh man, things are really starting to roll along here for Dalen Swain. He's starting to build some confidence. And then for him to finish the game off that way where he had the big defensive play, he has the dunk to win it. I, I, that just felt like a, a really big deal for him. Seven points, six assists, five rebounds, and two blocks with two steals in the game. That is a heck of a stat line for a freshman, including what ended up being the game winner. Yeah, and that part laid into a starting opportunity in the Creighton game. Now, Gidis Demiksha was sick for the practice before Creighton, and Sean Miller said that's why he didn't get the start. It wasn't like a, a thing where Gidis hasn't been playing well, so they felt they had to get him out of that lineup. But you have to think with Dalen playing the way he was, they probably felt a little bit like, All right, this is a good opportunity to to give Dalen even a little more love and, and maybe build a little more confidence. And I thought he equipped himself well in the, the Creighton game too. He made an early three right in front of Creighton's bench and kind of looked and said something to either McDermott or their bench players who might've been chirping him. But uh, again, I just I had multiple great defensive plays in that Creighton game. You, you can just see like Dalen Swain is starting to turn a corner. And I think yep. most of it is just him getting comfortable and confident. I think the talent has already been there. All right, let's talk about the end of the game because it was a bizarre last possession in the way that things played out. Xavier was winning 92-91. to 91. Georgetown dribbles the ball up the floor out of a timeout, dribbles the ball up the floor, and Jaden Epps stands at midcourt. The shot clock was off, and you could tell that the Hoyas were waiting for the final shot. And trailing by one, they knew they were going to go for the win, and that was going to be it. And they were lined up... Uh, basically in a line underneath the basket um, and Sean Miller brings the double team with about 15, 14 seconds left out to midcourt. Dalen, Dalen Swain comes flying out to uh, double Jaden Epps, get the ball out of his hands, get the ball into somebody else's hands, drive, doesn't finish, no rebound. Georgetown doesn't foul. Xavier wins by one. I don't necessarily think the no foul is as big of an issue as I, I saw a lot of people talking about because the more and more I went back to rewatch it, it was I, I don't know who would have given the foul because, yeah, it felt weird that Georgetown didn't foul. But the way that the rebound and the scramble for the ball happened, it kind of seemed like Georgetown was disoriented where the ball was. And by the time they realized that they needed a foul there, maybe they could have gotten one with a second left. But it, it wasn't like they 
just elected to not foul. It was sort of just a weird consequence of, uh oh, we don't have the ball. Where is it? Oh, we can't get to anybody right now. But yeah, I totally agree. I thought there was a scramble for the ball. I didn't think it was them not fouling. I just felt like they were trying to grab the the rebound still fighting to get that yeah. rebound secured. And by the time Xavier kind of wrestled, like, cause I think a boo was kind of wrestling it away yeah. and then he kind of threw it as he was wrestling it away. The ball kind of bounced out. So it was like, still felt like maybe a loose ball opportunity there where, where it could be a turnover or something. And then Desmond got it and dribbled it out yeah. up the floor where no one was really around him at that point. Yeah, I tweeted out an angle from where I stand underneath the basket, um, it, an alternate angle of this final play. And the reason I bring it up is because it's interesting to look at the two coaches and how they handled the final play from that angle. Because you can't see Jaden Epps, but what you can see is Sean Miller from the sideline clap his hands to say, OK, Dalen, it's time to come out and double him. And then you can look over a second later and see Ed Cooley's face light up as if to say, uh oh. We didn't see that coming, and now we're just going to have to hope something happens. Yeah, so a, a couple things about that. One, I think the timing of that. So you go into a timeout. Georgetown called a timeout right before that possession. And so in that timeout, obviously, Sean Miller is able to relay to his guys, hey, assuming this is the look we get, which is the same look they've given us like every possession in the second half, which is Jaden Epps dribbling the ball up the middle of the floor and then going one-on-one -on -one by one of our guys or maybe a high ball screen, assuming that's the look we're going to get and they're holding for one shot, we can go double them here, you know? And like, I'm sure he tells them, hey, we want to do it a little bit before 10 seconds because that's probably around when they're going to go. So we'll make sure we get the double team and make him give up the ball before they get into an action. And you saw it. I mean, it worked out perfect because Georgetown didn't have any movement. They put the ball in Epps' hands right at midcourt, made it very like spaced out and easy for Xavier to kind of set up. Dalen was able to sit in the middle of the lane with his man, watch Sean Miller. And like you said, as soon as Sean gave him the clap to go with about 15 seconds left, he was up there got the trap with about 12 or 13 seconds left. By the time they got rid of the ball, you're already under nine, 10 or nine seconds. And at that point, like Georgetown just didn't have any idea what they were going to do. And if they were going to get that ball back to Jaden Epps, the, the problem I have with that is if, is if you're Ed Cooley one, I mean, you have to know this is coming. Um, so you would think there's like some type of counter there, regardless but two i'm just surprised to even put the ball in Jaden epps hands to start that possession like if it's me i've got somebody else with the ball in their hands at the top of the key dribbling out that clock and then i'm running an action to get the ball to Jaden epps like i'm having him come off the ball screen so you can't just come double me right away and make me give up the ball you at least have to guard the action and double team me after the action as the action's happening so maybe like you come double me i've got a man slipping to the rim right here and i can just hit him i, I was just surprised that Ed Cooley, who is such an experienced coach, who a lot of people believe is a very good coach, put his guy in that position. Because, I mean, we were up in the media bunker calling that out from the second the play started. Like, go double team. Like, just take the ball out of his hands. This is so obvious right here. And sure enough, Xavier did a great job of executing that. Yeah, and Ed Cooley talked about that after the game. He was very, uh, very downtrodden in the post-game press conference, acknowledging that and realizing, hey, I could have done and easily uh, it could have easily done a better job after that possession or going into that possession to prepare these guys to say, Hey, after Xavier brings a double team, here's what we can do. Here's, here's what we could have done to counteract that. And it just, it didn't play out that way for Georgetown and it played out perfectly for Xavier. He basically left it at, um, I could have done more to give my guys a better chance. We, uh, that yeah. someone followed up and that might've even been you followed up with a, you've mentioned multiple times. You wish you would have done something else on that last possession. What would you have liked to have done? Oh, Adam. He didn't, 
Yeah, he didn't really answer that question. He basically said, I, I would have liked to have given my guys a better chance and done something else. So yeah. um, I would assume the answer is get the ball out of Jaden Epps' hands to start the possession. Yeah. Okay, so that's the Georgetown game, 92-91. to 91. Musketeers win it. They avoid disaster. And then that means a few days later, they move on to Creighton. An 85-78 loss at Creighton on Tuesday night. A real golden chance for the Musketeers to pick up a quad one road win. And it would have looked real good for the resume. Xavier was in control of this game, or at least had a pretty significant shot to win this game for the first 32 minutes. But then, uh, you, Rick... we. We don't talk about the refs too much on this show, uh, but it's a shame that a game like that turned into a ref show because it was a wildly entertaining game with some shot making back and forth. There were some defensive stretches where teams couldn't get one to fall, but those are two good defensive teams battling back and forth. It was a tough, physical, fun Big East game for the first 30 or 32 minutes. And then it just evolved into a whistle fest. And Sean Miller picks up a tech. Creighton converts at the free throw line. And, and from there, the game really flipped into Creighton's favor. Uh, it's a shame that it ended the way it did. Now, I will say, foul-wise, I'm not arguing the disparity between the fouls because Creighton is the number one team in the country at defending without fouling by a pretty significant margin. Uh, they are elite at defending without committing a foul. So I'm not necessarily arguing that the the foul discrepancy, because I get real tired of hearing that. Well, the other team committed 20 more fouls than we did or vice versa, whatever. Well, maybe they were just fouling more than you. Maybe they were just not as smart as you to avoid the fouls. But in this scenario where clearly time and time again, the players, the coaches, Sean gets the technical, it, it, the way that it played out at the very end, uh, needless to say, was a, a very frustrating experience. Yeah, so let, I'll give you my as unbiased point of view as I can. I thought there were like two really questionable calls that occurred in a short succession there. Um, and then in addition to that, I'm not necessarily talking about the non-call on Trey Alexander's steal and drive where he finished in transition and hit yeah. Avion McKnight with an elbow in the jaw which I thought that yeah. was a little weird. I mean, we review everything in today's day and age. They stop the game because Davion McKnight is holding his jaw, but they don't go to the monitor there to review and see what happened. That was a bit surprising. Then the on ensuing possession, you have the probably questionable call on Gidis Namiksha on the rebound attempt. And that's where right after that, Sean got his technical. So I think you have like two questionable calls that I would agree are absolutely questionable calls, probably bad calls against Xavier. Plus those two calls that I just mentioned all happening around a similar portion. And then the technical, in my opinion, it's a little weak of a technical at the same time, Sean Miller is out of the coach's box at midcourt, punching his fist. Like he's yelling at his players in a huddle directly in the ref's face. And it looked like he probably used an F bomb. I'm not a lip reader, but I think one of those words might've started with the F word. So um, I, that to me is like, probably 50 50 of whether or not you're going to get a technical in that situation, but you are definitely anytime you're gesturing demonstratively at an official, whether you're punching your hand, you're throwing your hands like that, you're kicking your foot up in the air, you're signaling a, a call that they should have made. Yep. Anytime you do that, officials are going to be more likely to call a technical because for them, it's not really as much about the, what you said or, or 
if you think the call is right or wrong, it's about them keeping control of the game for the people that are grading them and deciding whether or not they're doing a good job. For them, so much of it is about the pageantry and the the look of being in control. That's why when you see a coach running out to like midcourt to jump them during a timeout and argue about something, they'll always kind of like lead the coach back to the huddle, right? Like you can yell at me, but let's yell back in the huddle. You're not going to be out here doing it. You're not going to be throwing your hands around wildly. So that's what I would say about the technical is that I don't think it was like a crazy bad technical call. I think Sean probably knew it was coming when he did it. It only resulted in two points for Creighton. I think Xavier's three-point defense and Desmond Claude's inability to make a shot, he was 0 for 8 in the second half after having a brilliant first half where he scored 18 points. He was 0 for 8 in the second half. Those two things to me were much more responsible for Xavier's loss and losing the lead in the second half than the refs changing the game, the way the game was called or anything like that. But I would also add in, there is no denying that that moment, that sequence there and the technical, it changed the game. The game was never the same after that moment. No, Desmond had maybe the best half of his career in the first half. And then in the second half, completely disappeared. Didn't make a three on the night overall. He was 0 for 5 from 3. But very bizarre, and I guess a critic to Creighton defensively, for Desmond to go from as powerful as he was in the first half to losing all of that power in the second half. He was so good in the first half and really finishing off some tough shots. I thought the biggest difference from his perspective, what he did well in the first half versus what he didn't do in the second half, if if there is anything, is I thought in the first half, he really made sometimes like a second and third effort to, to get to the rim. You would see him like curl around a screen, have a defender on his hip. He'd kind of give him a nudge, try to put him in jail, get him on his back. It might not work. Then he might cross over and try to go around him the other way. And eventually he'd like lean in, draw some contact and try to get it off the glass. And, and he shot a lot of close shots. He shot a lot of shots where he looked like the aggressor. He was leaning into the defense, jumping towards the rim. And the second half, I thought, and this is maybe where you bring up fatigue and maybe fatigue wore him down a bit. It seemed like he was more willing to take the easy shot in the second half. And I say easy, meaning like the step back mid-range jumper, the open three-pointer from the top of the key. Instead of being like, Uh, I have a slight advantage here. Let me try two or three times to break them down and really get in the lane and get to the hoop. Felt like he maybe settled a bit more in the second half. Yeah, no doubt. And it's just, uh, it's tough to see a player like that with the skill that he has have such a phenomenal 20 minutes and then to completely disappear in the second 20 minutes. That's not to take away from anything else that anybody did offensively, and we'll talk more about Davion McKnight and the rest in just a, in just a minute. But Desmond, uh, I don't I don't necessarily, Rick, want to say it's one step forward, two steps back with him. That's entirely too harsh. That is, that's way, way, way too harsh. But expanding the game to be a more consistent three-point shooter, um, and and consistency overall, because we've seen him have spurts like this, where he'll look like one of the best players in the conference for 20 or 25 minutes. And then in the next segment, you fall back a little bit. Do you think it's, uh, do you think it's adjustments? Do you, what, what is this? So I would say for like three and a half games, I thought Desmond Claude played really well. He had the three yeah. games in a row. And then the first half of this game where he was good. And that was, that was coming off the back of, 
a lot of people being very critical about him because he was missing shots in a few games before that UConn Villanova. He struggled to finish shots in those games and people were very critical of them. And then he had three great games offensively, three and a half great games offensively. Um, now you can argue defensively against Jade Neps against Georgetown. He really struggled on that end of the floor, but overall this year, my argument on this podcast, on Mo show on the skinny podcast, every time it's been brought up is that Desmond Claude is playing pretty damn well for Xavier. He's doing a lot of different things at a high level. But he, his biggest issue, and this is going to continue to be the conversation about Desmond Claude, is finishing consistently, making shots. Yeah. And that's not just from three-point three, three point range. That's a real hole in his game. He's going to have to get better at three-point shooting if he wants a, an NBA career. But the, the real thing for Xavier right now is the two-point jumpers because he can get a two-point shot off almost whenever he wants against anyone he wants. The question is, can he get to a point where he, there's some level of consistency there to where you're not going to have an 0 for 8 half. You know, I yeah. mean, and that's and that's not like it's a, a complete aberration or an outlier for him. We've seen him really struggle to finish for entire halves, entire games in other matchups this season, and it's really cost Xavier. So, um, again, that doesn't mean Desmond Claude's a bad player. It doesn't mean he's the reason they're losing. Xavier would be lost without Desmond Claude playing the way he's played for most of this year, but it's also an area where he has to get better uh, if he wants to keep progressing his game. And, um, you know, I, also, I will give credit to Baylor Shireman because, and Greg McDermott pointed this out, in the first half of that game, I think he took a couple of risks where he, like, reached in or reached for a pass where and took himself out of position and made it easier for Dez to get to the rim. And the second half, he was just solid. He was like, you can shoot whatever you want from the outside. I'm staying in front of you. I'm going to be really physical with you. And maybe that's part of why it was easier for Desmond to settle for tougher shots in the second half as well. Yeah. Uh, defensively, Xavier, uh, we talked about, and you mentioned on the message board, um, what Creighton was able to do, especially on the baseline out of bounds. Sean Miller, after the game, he said, quote, we got absolutely destroyed, annihilated on underneath out of bounds defense. Greg McDermott is one of the best coaches I've seen in terms of when his team takes the ball out under the basket. He's creative. They execute. They screen. And I don't know how many points, but I'd be willing to guess that they might have 12 points, made three or four threes. And man, it's hard to come into a place like this on the road and take a punch like that. Greg McDermott, for as much as we've talked about Chris Mack being fantastic at baseline and underneath out-of-bounds plays, uh, out of a timeout, Greg McDermott is a tactician. It's clinical. And last night, they scored at least nine points, if not 12, directly out of a timeout or out of a baseline out-of-bounds play. Yeah, they had exactly 12. Sean was right. They had exactly 12. They made four threes on baseline out-of-bounds plays, all of them we're in the second half of that game. So again, when you're talking about like, you know, the fouls changing the game, Desmond Claude not making shots changing the game, it did for sure that those were factors. But like to me, the biggest thing was you gave up 12 points, four three-pointers and a half on out-of-bounds plays. And um, now, like you mentioned, Greg McDermott's plays are fantastic. At least two of them were really fun little plays that you're able to watch unfold. It's like, okay, that was a pretty great action they ran there. That's going to be tough to defend. But there's also a level of like attention to detail and focus and intensity that I think you learn as you go on as a player. And like on one of the threes, for instance, that they hit, you've got uh, Dale and Swain, who again is playing, playing pretty well right now, guarding Mason Miller. He was the one who ended up making the three. And also in the same stack where the action is being run, you've got Sasha Shani. So you've got two freshmen in that situation that 
probably aren't as focused as they need to be on an underneath out of bounds and aren't communicating like they needed to be. And then Creighton runs a nice little action there. That's pretty simple, but it was a little confusing. And they get Mason Miller, a wide open three pointer in the corner, right in front of the ball. Those are the types of things where it's like, man, that's, that's a tough punch to take. Like Sean Miller said, with you're on the road against a, uh, you're the underdog in a game against a team that's ranked, but it's also one of those things where that, that's easy to fix. Like you can get better. That's not like Daylon Swain wasn't good enough to cover that play. He just wasn't quite ready. And, and you heard Sean mention like, I wish I could take the guys back to the ballroom and go back over this stuff. Cause we did, we scouted it. We told him it was coming. Um, but like, you know, sometimes you give your team too much information. You overwhelm them with all the plays that are going to be ran. And it turns out like paralysis by analysis. They're not reacting quickly to anything, right? So uh, I'm not sure what the case was for Xavier last night, why they ended up in that situation where they just couldn't seem to get out on the shooters and why they kept. Yeah, a big part of it too is Ryan Kalkbrenner. When you've got a seven-foot lob presence in there, you, you're really worried about taking away those lobs at the rim. And it seemed like Xavier was really focused on that. I'm sure it was a big point of emphasis in their scouting. And I think that, partly led to some of their three-pointers, you know, guys slipping out of a a screening action or whatever and getting open while their defender is worried about helping against the lob. All right, let's talk about Davion McKnight. In the last three games, he's gone for 20, 18, and 20. He has only turned the ball over one time in each game. Now, he didn't have an assist last night, and that was after his five assists against Georgetown. He had one assist against Butler. Um, But Davion McKnight scoring the basketball. He was four for five from three last night. Uh, That was the most threes that he had made in a game this season. Only one other time had he made three and only one other time before that, uh, two other times rather, had he made two. So we're not talking about somebody that's lighting the ball, uh, lighting the nets up with the ball from beyond the arc. Last night, four threes and also the mid-range game against a Creighton team that is vulnerable in the mid-range, as uh, Doug Tiff pointed out after the game. Very, very valuable and a great game from Davion McKnight. Yeah, and that's something that I think has been big for the Xavier team recently is, you know, go back to Davion McKnight at Western Kentucky. He was one of the leading scorers in Conference USA, averaged over 18 a game, had a great mid-range game like you pointed out. And he's been a totally different player at Xavier. And part of that is because that's what he's been told to do. They need him being more of a facilitator running the offense. But we also heard Sean Miller on your guys' podcast that you do with him earlier this season talk about, I had to do a better job of giving Davion confidence. We initially were kind of like taking some of that away from him, kind of that you need to play in a more controlled environment and do these things within our system. But it seems like now that he's gotten the hang of that, and he has gotten the hang of it, he's really good at pushing the ball up the floor, playing with the pace that Xavier wants to play at, spreading around, getting them into their stuff. Now that he's gotten a hold of that, it seems like they're starting to drag more and more of the aggressiveness out of him. Be like, hey, occasionally we need you. If you've got your man beat, go ahead, drive him in there, try to draw a foul or get to the mid range and go ahead and score it. And he's been doing a good job of that. And uh, again, we go back to Desmond Claude talking about the misses and and how much those pile up and and it feels like it's an accumulating effect, right? As his misses are, are piling up. Well, if Davion McKnight can start making shots more consistently as he has recently, it takes a lot of pressure off of those shots and whether or not they're going in for Desmond Claude. And all of a sudden, Desmond Claude doesn't need to maybe take 23 shots every game. You know, maybe we can get him back down to a more reasonable number and he doesn't have to be as aggressive. But earlier in the season, when it's just Quincy shooting threes off of screens, and then Desmond having to create everything for this team, 
that really puts a lot of pressure on him and this offense to perform at a high level. D- Davion being able to do more offensively has been a big boost for Xavier. And the more and more you watch him, Rick, the more and more you get excited for what he might be able to do next year with this group. You come back, you get another year of Davion, and man, you, not to devolve this conversation into what the 24-25 Musketeers could be, but just to at least hit the tip of the iceberg with this conversation, he's really showing that he has adapted to what Sean has talked to him about, to say time and again, the coachability. He's very stoic, never gets too high, never gets too low. He's just the same guy every day. And that kind of consistency, you know Sean Miller loves coaching that. You know that that's the type of player that he's going to just feed off of because he's just going to go out there, bring his lunch pail to work every day, get the job done, not cause too many problems, and be a general massive boost to your team. So last year... Adam Kunkel, Sule Boom. Uh, you can throw in almost anyone who played on that team. Let's add Jack Nungy in there because I think he's a specific example for what I'm about to talk about. How many of those guys did you watch improve over the course of the season last year under Sean Miller? And then you got to the end of the year, saw them lose the Texas in the tournament, and say, if he just had one more year with Sean, like what he was really figuring it out by the end of the year. They're, this team was really coming together and playing well. What could he be with another year? in Sean Miller's system now that he's fully got it. He's great. And he's starting to do more things. They could really continue to develop him. We're going to get to see what that's like with a couple of these guys now. And Davion's maybe the the best example of that, because you can just see it over the course of this year. It's like a a month ago, people didn't want him in the lineup. You know, they didn't even want him playing minutes. Now it's starting to turn the corner. The offense is getting going. He's, he's been taking pretty good care of the ball all year, really. Um, But he's starting to do some of those other things and giving you a little more production. I have a feeling we're going to get to the end of the year and people are going to be going, Oh, it's great. They have Davion McKnight coming back. That really solidifies the point guard position for next year, regardless of how much better Trey green gets. And I fully expect Trey green to be great. I think he's going to be a big contributor contributor next year. But again, I just I feel like it, it very much has the feeling of some of those guys we watched last year. You just see them getting better. You see them getting used to the new way of doing things under Sean Miller and his staff. And by the end of the year, they're really playing great basketball. Feels like this team is on that trajectory. And for a guy like Davion, he'll have the opportunity to come back and continue that development. Davion has not had more than three turnovers in a game on the season. And for somebody that is playing over 30 minutes a game, mostly over 35 minutes a game, that is an incredible number. He has turned the ball over one time in each of the last three games, two times in the two games before that, no turnovers against Villanova. Those three turnover games, the loss to Houston and the loss to Delaware. Since December 5th, he has not turned the ball over three times in a game. It's just remarkable the strides that he has taken in three short months. But Paul also, what about the pace that he's being asked to play with, right? Like it's not just take care of the ball. It's take care of the ball while pushing the ball up the court faster than you ever have at any point in your career. And he's a fast guy too. So it's it's legitimately fast. And then also make quick decisions, get us into our actions, understand the 12 different variations of things we're going to run in this situation. Like he's really done a good job of picking up all that stuff and doing so while making sound decisions and taking care of the basketball. All right. One other player to talk about, and you mentioned him, Trey green. He broke out for those 23 points against Providence, but since then eight against Butler three against Georgetown on the one, three, and then five points last night against Creighton. The one, three did make a two as well. Um, 
couple of rebounds, but haven't seen as much from Trey since that Providence game. Uh, your thoughts on Trey Green? Yeah, I think a lot of fans got super excited when they saw the big scoring output from Trey Green. We're thinking, all right, like he's he's here, he's arrived. This is what it's going to be like for the rest of the year. And um, a couple things to note: one, Trey Green's production and his minutes are going to be directly tied to the matchups that Xavier is going up against. So, like against Creighton, they had uh, Farabello on their bench, perfect matchup. You can bring him in, Trey can guard him, and you don't have to worry about that guy going off or being too big, too athletic, whatever. So um, I think that's part of it. You have to look at the matchups. But then also for Trey, I do think we've seen him gain some more confidence. If nothing else, his three-point shot is going in. Earlier in the year, it wasn't going in at all. Now he has full confidence, that three-point shot. I mean, he even hit one in this game uh, against Creighton where he kind of like, sna- he hit, uh, had five straight points, actually. He hit the, the pull-up mid-range and then snaked off a screen, dribbled to the, the wing and shot a three himself and, and buried it. So... Um, I think he is still a more confident player after that 23-point performance, but he's not going to get the minutes to score 15-20 a game on a regular basis. For Trey, it's really going to be about when when they find those minutes that they feel comfortable putting you on the floor, can you get a quick shot or two in? And like in this Creighton game, I thought he did that. Trey Green in conference play uh, is shooting 47% from three and Davion McKnight in conference play shooting 48% from three, both guys shooting the ball well against big East opponents. Well, well, how about Xavier just in general? Now, granted, they're not shooting many threes period. So, I mean, you got to take it with a grain of salt. It's limited sample size, but they're shooting nearly 37% from three point range in conference play, which is tied for a third in the conference, I think, or tied for second in the conference. So like they are, they've actually been shooting the ball fairly well lately at least from three-point range, on the limited attempts that they've taken. Rick, I do have one more thing for you, uh, just player-specific-wise, and uh, if there's anything else, feel free to uh, to go ahead. But just one thing that came to mind that we haven't talked about, Quincy Oliveri, his home versus road three-point splits. I don't know, maybe this is just matchup-dependent, and I, to be completely honest, haven't spent a ton of time looking at it. I've simply just looked at the counting numbers But if you go back over the last few games that he's played on the road, as opposed to at home, you look at the last three road games, Creighton, Providence, Villanova. He was one for four from three. He was two for four from three, and he was one for eight from three. You look at the home games, he's five for 10, five for eight, two for four, two for five. I mean, two, sorry, two for five, five for 11. It just, I don't understand what it is home versus road and again it could be completely matchup dependent and we haven't seen the whole biggie schedule play out but it is a, a little interesting looking at those numbers well, there's no question now for his career if you're wondering like is this a, a long-term problem is this something that happened to him at rice not really i mean i think most players are better at shooting in their home gym than they are any other gym but his, his splits weren't crazy different at rice i mean for his career he's shooting 42 and a half percent at home 35 and a half percent on the road. So, I mean, it, it's a difference of, of seven points there, but it's not crazy different. And he's not shooting poorly on the road like he has at times this year. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to think of that. I don't think it like it's a, it's a situation where he has the yips or anything on the road, but I think for every team, it's more difficult 
to score and beat your opponent when you're in an unfamiliar gym with a hostile crowd. And uh, that's certainly been the case for him this year. It, it has definitely hindered Xavier on the road that he can't seem to get on track in those games. All right, Rick, uh, anything else? We've been going for about 40 minutes here. This is my uh, toss to you on the news notes nuggets. Anything that we haven't covered? Uh, no, just, I mean, that matchup coming up on Sunday against UConn. Oh, duh. Yeah, we uh, didn't even look forward to UConn. That's my bad. For, scrap the news notes nuggets. We're getting there, <laughs> people. We're getting there. UConn on Sunday uh, to wrap up the, the, the huge week for Xavier. Uh, had a chance last night against Creighton. Didn't go the Musketeers' way. Another massive chance on Sunday at noon, FS1. This is going to be at the XL Center. It's not at Gamble. It's in Hartford at the XL Center. Uh, Ken Palm has Connecticut 79-70. That's their prediction. Take that as you will. Connecticut right now seventh uh, on Ken Palm. They have not lost since that Big East opening loss to Seton Hall. They've won seven games in a row. The Huskies are 17-2 and on the season. They have over a week off in between their Villanova and Xavier games. They played Saturday against Villanova. That was down at Wells Fargo in Philadelphia. Then they don't play again until the 28th, that Sunday game against Xavier. Uh, we saw Xavier give Connecticut a run for their money at Cintas. We all know the history of what happened at Connecticut last year. Um, but do you have any expectations for Xavier on Sunday, or is this just a leave it all out there and maybe something goes right? Well, I think this one's going to be really difficult. A few things that you've got to remember about that that first game. One is that game felt like it kind of got out of hand and Xavier made a late run at it and weren't able to quite get back into the game to give themselves a real chance of winning it. So um, as much as you look up and you see a five-point game, I wouldn't say it necessarily felt quite like a one or two possession game there for most of the second half. Two, Donovan Klingon didn't play in that game. The seven-foot center who's an NBA prospect for UConn we know Xavier's issues with opposing front courts this year. Not having Donovan Klingon available makes UConn a much better matchup for Xavier than if he is playing in theory. And, and he is now. He's back. And not only is he back, but he also just got a nice week rest to kind of get himself going, practice a lot, get himself back into the flow. So um, I, I have to imagine that came at a really good time for him. That alone, I think, makes this matchup a lot more difficult. Um, a few other things to remember about that last game. Sean Miller was really beside himself with Xavier's transition defense in that game. He, he said it broke their back the way UConn was able to get out and transition and score. So that's something I'll definitely have my eye on is how much better Xavier is doing it, getting back on defense and stopping the ball in those situations. And then if you look at that game, Xavier actually dominated the offensive glass, had a ridiculous amount of offensive rebounds in that game but didn't come up with hardly any second-chance points to speak of. Um, that was very strange. And on the flip side, Sean Miller was really upset about like two or three second-chance opportunities that they gave up to UConn in important spots where they just weren't tough enough. I have to imagine with Donovan Klingon coming back, that gets even more difficult to keep them from getting those second-chance opportunities. So those are the two things that I'm going to be really looking for Xavier to improve is transition defense, defensive rebounding, especially in key moments. All right, now it's the news notes nuggets. You got anything for us? Uh, I, I I think that's it, really, Paul. Uh, we 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 hit on most of it there, and I know any uh, sales, any recruiting. Let's do some pitches, Rick. You got anything? Uh, we we might have some promos coming up. It feels it feels like it's time. I don't All have right. anything to speak of yet, but I'll, I'll I'll keep you guys abreast. All right, great. Uh, 
tomorrow one little pitch here tomorrow on the rebound rundown i just got um finished recording it uh Rocco Miller, who's a bracketologist, uh, does a great job with bracketology. He's, he's one of the best in the biz at it. We talked for almost a half hour. Um, we completely broke down Xavier's resume, Cincinnati's resume, uh, both teams, what they need to do to get into the tournament, and also some things about uh, what fans should look for over the last month of the regular season. Because you think about it, Paul, why are you having a bracketology discussion in January? There's only 12 games in the regular season left. It's well, not that far away. Yeah, and also, it's all fans want to talk about right now. I mean, yeah. we tried to push it off as much as possible with Xavier, but over the last two weeks, it's really the only questions I've got from fans is NCAA tournament questions. So it's yeah. what fans want, and if that's what they want, you might as well talk about it. So I think that, that'll be a worthwhile conversation to tune into. Yeah, Rocco's the best. Uh, a great conversation with him. So look for that tomorrow in the rebound rundown. Uh, Rick will join me uh, at some point here, either later this week or early next week, uh, probably after the UConn game on the rebound rundown to talk more about Xavier. But you've got all your Xavier fill here on the Musketeer Report podcast. So thanks to everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.